I want to ask you uh, this question tonight as we, we get started. It's not, a, it's not a difficult question. It's really pretty simple. What is the one thing that needs to change the most in your life? Just think about that for a minute. What is the one thing? It, it can be anything. What is the one thing that needs to change the most in your life? According to a uh, consumer survey that was taken all the way back in November, um, here is America's uh, top 10 things that they feel need to change in the coming year at the the top of the list is that uh, they need to exercise more. They need to change the fact that they don't exercise. And, and I'm guessing anyone who goes to a gym anywhere in town on, on January the 2nd, it will be more packed than any other time of the year. And uh, there'll be a lot of people who will um, set that as a goal and endeavor to make that change in their life. 42% of, of the folks uh, surveyed uh, said that uh, they need a healthier menu, that their eating habits need to change uh, in, uh, in 2021. Can anybody uh, testify to that tonight? Yeah, a few of us. Um, some of you didn't raise your hand, but you needed to. After almost a year of social distancing... 34% of people said, I need to spend more time with my family. I need to spend more time with my friends. And that certainly is a change that, uh, that can be made. Lose weight. I'm surprised that that one is down to number four. Um, I really am. But uh, they said 31% said their weight needs to change. And obviously, it's the <laughs> they're not meaning it needs to go up. Um, Live more economically. In other words, their spending habits need to change. Um, 24% said that uh, they could uh, change their social media viewing habits. A little less screen time in 2021 would be good for them. Would be good for all of us. Amen. Uh, 23% said, I need to change the way I am at my job. I, I need to perform better at my job, whatever, whatever that might mean. Another job-related change is that they needed to do something at work to change their stress level, and whatever, whatever that might be for them. 19% uh, of the folks said that uh, there needed to be a change in their smoking habits. I would say amen to that. Like, don't smoke, period. That would be a good change. Along with uh, cutting down on alcohol, if you cut that down to zero in 2021, it will do nothing but help you. Amen. Bottom line, it will do nothing but help you. And so those are some, obviously some secular changes that uh, people want to make in, in their life in, in 2021 and and as I commented along the way, uh, every, every one of us in here tonight could certainly stand to uh, uh, change a thing or five when it comes to that list in, in our life. But what about your spiritual life? Think about that for a moment. And maybe some of you already thought about that in the first question. But what is, what is the one thing 
not the one thing, what is the most important change that could take place in your life, in your spiritual life, in 2021? For some, it may, it, it may have to do with forgiveness, as I preached on this morning. Maybe that's the thing. And I, I, had, uh, I can count two folks specifically who, who stopped in, in the line this morning and, and told me that um, that is one thing that, that they have been struggling with all year, uh, with a deep hurt. And they know and they understand uh, that they need to forgive. And, and uh, they said... Pray for me that I would, would get to that point in my life. So maybe as we preach this morning, that's, that's what needs to change. Maybe as pastor said, maybe it's your prayer life that, that needs to change. Maybe it's some area of your life. But here's the premise that we're going to work from tonight during our study of Romans chapter 6. It's this. You can never be different. Unless you believe with all of your heart that the power of sin has been broken in your life because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. It's all right there. And we're going to build on that. You can never be different unless you believe with all of your heart that the power of sin has been broken in your life because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Church, listen to me tonight. If you are not willing to believe that biblical truth, then you will forever be the same. You will forever be locked into this, this vicious cycle of sin. Feel bad, pray, try again. Feel bad, pray, try again, up and down, down and up, on and off, in and out, hot and cold. That will be the story of your life for all of the coming year and beyond. If you do not fix your heart and mind on that biblical truth from Romans chapter 6. If you don't have faith in God's Word and aren't convinced that you can really change, then you won't. I mean, that's the bottom line. You won't. You will be left to wonder why others all around you are changing and you are stuck in the rut of sameness. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. As we open our Bibles to Romans 6, we are opening them to a powerful passage of Scripture that teaches us that change is really possible. And it shows us how to choose what is right. Now, we can't just jump in to Romans chapter 6 without having some kind of, of idea about what Paul had to say in chapters 1 through 5. That would be like 
getting a long letter in the mail and opening it up and turning to page three and starting to read. Uh, There are some very important things that Paul said prior to chapter six. For example, example, in chapters one through three, he firmly establishes the truth that all men are sinners. And unless we find God's solution to our sin problem, we will never change. In chapter 4, he begins to talk about the solution. And he says, in essence, hey, he says, some of you think that, that, that this faith thing is a, is a new plan. And that change used to come about by works. But you're wrong. And then he gives a wonderful uh, example. He, he presents the life of Abraham as proof that transformation by faith has always been God's program. As a matter of fact, in verse 3, he writes this, Abraham believed God, faith, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. In chapter 5, we learn that that God accepted the faith of the Old Testament believers knowing what Christ would ultimately do on their behalf. Then in in verse 20 of Romans 5, he, he wrote something pretty amazing. He said, moreover, the law entered that the offense may abound. The truth there is that rules And regulations about how to live don't help us change. All they do is make us want to sin more. But then he added this at the close of verse 20. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Next, the Holy Spirit prompted Paul to caution us against using the grace of God as an excuse for sinning. And that's where Romans chapter 6 comes into play. Paul wanted to make sure that we don't abuse the grace of God by repeatedly requesting forgiveness for the same offense while stubbornly refusing to change. Here's what he wrote, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What are those next two words, church? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, verse 6, that our old man is crucified 
with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Drop down to verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. With the Lord's help, I'm going to preach tonight under this title, I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would add your blessing now to the reading of your word. Bless the preaching of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Once you take a, a moment here and notice how Paul used repetition throughout Romans 6 to teach a, a very powerful truth. For example, verse 3, know ye not... Verse 6, knowing this. Verse 9, knowing that Christ. Verse 16, know ye not. And then again, notice the repetition with regards to, to death. Verse, uh, verse 2, how shall we that are dead to sin? Verse 3, baptized into his death. Verse 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. Verse 5, death. Verse 6, crucified. Verse 7, for he that is dead is free from sin. Verse 11, likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Listen, you would have to be totally clueless to miss the theme of those verses. Paul wants us to know, listen, that in Christ we are dead to sin. He didn't say we are weakened to sin. He didn't say that we are distanced from sin or that we have grown cold to sin. You read what I read. He said we are dead. D-E-A-D, dead to sin. But what does that mean? mean? And I'll answer that in a moment. Let's talk for a minute about what it doesn't mean. What dead to sin does not mean. First of all, it does not mean that we've reached a state of sinless perfection. Now, some believe and, and even teach that committed, mature believers can reach a place where they stop sinning completely. Now, I'll be honest, I, I've, I've not had anyone confess that to me. But should I meet such a privileged soul? Then I would just immediately direct, direct them to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, where John said, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if that were not enough, what about Paul's confession in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15 where he said this, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. 
He didn't say of whom I was chief. There was the time in my life when I was the chiefest of sinners. Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, long saved now, walking with the Lord, Paul admitted that even at that stage in his life, he considered himself to be the worst sinner of, of all sinners. And to top it all off, Romans chapter 7 absolutely destroys any notion of reaching a state of sinlessness. Dead to sin in no way suggests sinless perfection. Something else dead to sin does not mean. It does not mean that our old nature is gone. The old nature is our inclination to sin. It's the part of us that wants to sin and constantly fights the part of us that wants to do right. The problem with, with the teaching that in Christ our inclination to sin has been fully eradicated is, is simply this. It doesn't jive with other scripture. James chapter 1 and verse 14, uh, for example, says this. James teaches us that each one of us are drawn, that, that we are tempted when we are drawn away of our own lusts, our own sinful desires, our own sinful inclinations. The fact that Christ, or excuse me, the fact that, that even in Christ, there is still something in me that wants to do wrong is exactly the point that Paul was making in that, that tongue-twisting set of, of verses there in Romans chapter 7 where in essence he said this. He said, the things that I don't want to do are, are, seem to be the things that I do the most and the things that I want to do the most seem to be the things I can't get done. And the point that he's teaching us there is this, there are, there, there, there's an old me and there's a new me and they are constantly fighting and struggling inside of me. And then he says this in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Being dead to sin does not mean that the old us is gone. John MacArthur explains it this way. A believer's unredeemed humanness remains with him until he is transformed to heavenly glory. And as both scripture and experience clearly teach, the remaining humanness somehow retain certain weaknesses and propensities to sin. The tyranny and penalty of sin, both in and over the Christian's life, have been broken. But sin's potential for expression in his life has not yet been fully removed. His human weaknesses and instincts make him capable of succumbing to Satan's temptations when he lives apart from the Spirit's word and power. He is a new, redeemed, holy creation incarcerated 
in unredeemed flesh. What a great way to put it. Those of us who are here tonight, who have been born again by the grace of God, we are new, redeemed, holy creations incarcerated in unredeemed flesh. Now, does anybody here tonight wish that were not the case besides me? Man, I wish that that wasn't the case. Man, I wish I didn't have to deal with me. But I do. I, I still have to deal with parts of the unredeemed me. And I'm sad to report tonight that sometimes those parts win. But here's my point tonight. They don't have to. Thirdly, and I didn't know any other way to say this, but this, dead to sin does not mean blah, blah, blah. And I said that because of this. Some people watered down the phrase dead to sin completely. And they stand up and they say something like this. Well, dead to sin, dead to sin simply means that we are identified with Christ. When he died, we died. <laughs> Do you realize how unamazingly or how amazingly unhelpful that is? When I, when I hear that, I want to scream, what died? I mean, come on, tell me what died. Something, according to Romans chapter 6, something clearly died when I came to Christ. On September 8th, 1976, at 216 West Wilson on a Wednesday night after Wednesday church, that night when I humbled my heart and called on the name of the Lord, according to Paul's writings in Romans 6, something died. Tell me what it was. Don't just give me a bunch of Christianese, blah, blah, blah. So if dead to sin does not mean sinless perfection or the end of the sin nature or any other blah, blah, blah that, that somebody may, may spout, and Brother Prater, what, what does it mean? Simply... But profoundly, it means this. We are dead to the power of sin. As MacArthur said, the tyranny or the power and the penalty of sin, both in and over the Christian's life, have been broken. Now we understand tonight that the penalty of sin is what sends us to hell. If we don't repent and turn to, uh, uh, in faith to Jesus Christ, hell is sin's penalty if that doesn't get changed. And there's not a believer in here tonight that doesn't understand that we are no longer under the penalty of sin. Every saved person here tonight knows and understands that they cannot and will not go to hell. They've been born again. You have been given everlasting life. Thank God we are free from the penalty of sin. But what we so often miss is that the power of sin has also been broken. 
And that is what Paul meant when he used the word destroyed in Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. Look at it again. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Here it is. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. The Greek word there literally means, the Greek word for destroyed there literally means to render inoperative or invalid. It means to make something ineffective, listen, by removing its power of control. Before we were saved, sin was the master and we were the slave. We were slaves to the power of sin. But in Christ, all of that changes. In Christ, we are dead to the power of sin. If you have been convinced that you will never change and that certain persistent sins will always have power over you, I'm telling you tonight, based upon the authority of the Word of God, that's a lie. That is not the truth. The truth is, if you've been born again by the grace of God, if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, then you are not, do not have to live under the power of sin. The incredible transforming truth of Romans 6. Again, I'm going to repeat this a lot tonight because it needs to be repeated. The incredible transforming truth of Romans 6 is that the power of sin in your life and in my life is broken. Before you were in Christ, you had no choice. But now, being in Him Listen, you have the power to say no to sin. Now, let's be clear. In Christ, you may still choose to be a slave. That is your choice. But you don't have to be. Do you hear me? You may choose to be, but you don't have to be. You can choose to do what is pleasing to Christ. Look at the screen. I want you to say this out loud with me tonight. Sin does not have power over me. In Christ, I am dead to the power of sin. Say it, church. Sin does not have power over me. In Christ, I am dead to the power of sin. Say it again. Say it like you believe it. Sin does not have power over me. In Christ, I am dead to the power of sin. Being dead to sin is fundamental to God's transforming work in us. And Romans 6, and in Romans 6, Paul explains why. And here they are. I'll give them to you as quickly as I can. Just three of them. Number one, God's grace demands it. Verse 1 again, Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound. As you look at that, you can, 
you can see what direction some people's minds might start moving when they read this verse. In their minds, they, they may be thinking something like this. Well, let's see. If God's into grace and I'm into sin, and the more I sin, the more God shows grace, and if God's grace is limitless, and my sin is limitless, then hey, 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 this could be a great deal for both of us because we both get to do what we do best. Brother Prayer, do people really think that way? I don't think that way. Really? Let's see. Do you have certain areas of disobedience that you're apathetic about? Stay with me. Do you have certain areas of disobedience in your life that you're apathetic about? Do you have certain areas of, of disobedience that you're like, eh, okay, whatever. I doubt if that'll ever change about me. It's just who I am. Do you abuse God's promise of forgiveness by choosing to sin and saying while you're sinning, it's okay. God will forgive me. Listen, if, if you think Jesus suffered the pain and the agony and the ridicule and the scorn of the cross just so you could go on sinning, you're wrong. No, no, listen, you're way wrong. Paul said it like this, God forbid. Because that's exactly the point that he's making here. If somehow think you can just go on sinning and the more you sin, the more, God's, uh, more grace God's going to show. Paul said, listen, you've got this thing all wrong. Your thinking is all messed up. Listen, church, Christ in you is not a reason for sin, but it is the power not to sin. In Christ, you are dead to sin. God's grace demands it. And I'm not just speaking tonight generically here about, about all Christians everywhere. Listen, I want you to personalize this tonight because I'm making it personal. I'm talking about you. You, Eli, and you, Sid, and you, Nathan, and you, Tyler, and you, Jenny Lee, and you, Bill, and you, Deanne. You do not have to sin. Because you are in Christ, you now have a choice. You do not have to keep on sinning. Here's another reason why the truth of our death to sin is important in God's efforts to transform us. Christ's victory assures it. Look at verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, 
we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Have you ever wondered why Pastor Tyler says buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection, and he never misses this part to walk in newness of life? You know where he gets that? That's not some Baptist saying. That's not some Baptist mantra. That's in the book. That's why he says that. And while I'm at it, listen, that, that passage of Scripture there is not teaching that we're saved by being baptized. No, Paul makes it very clear that baptism is a likeness. Baptism is a picture. It's a picture that somebody has died to sin, that they have been buried, and that they have been resurrected by the grace of God, and they are a new person, and now they are to walk in newness of life. That, that passage of Scripture is not about being saved by baptism. That passage of Scripture is this, because we are identified with the death of Christ, and Christ is now in us, that we don't have to live in sin that we can now walk in newness of life think with me back to the resurrection of Jesus in Luke chapter 23 and verse 53 talks about Joseph how he took down the body and he wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone wherein never man before was laid. And then if you turn to the next chapter, chapter 24, and Peter comes to the tomb, and it says that he, that he ran unto the sepulcher and that, that he stooped down and, and he beheld, listen, those same linen clothes were over there laying by themselves. So here's what we know. Christ came out of the tomb no longer bound. As we know, he was walking in newness of life because of some of the things we read about his post-resurrection appearances. We know, for example, uh, there in John chapter 20, his disciples were meeting in the upper room. And there in verse 19, it gives us the implication that at one point in their, in their supper time together, Jesus just appeared. There he is. How did he do that? He's walking in newness of life. He now has a resurrection body. He has a glorified body. He's different. Not that, not that he was lost and needed to be saved or that he was a sinner and needed none of that. But he's just, he pictures for us, he's a different Jesus after his resurrection than the physical Jesus prior to his resurrection. Does that make sense? And then we have the example of Lazarus. Lazarus had been dead for four days before Jesus got to where he was. When Jesus spoke the words, Lazarus come forth, Lazarus came forth. But the Bible says that he was still wrapped in the grave clothes. If you know the story, you know Jesus instructed them to loose him from the grave clothes. Why? Because death's power had been broken and he was going to be walking in newness of life. Christ's resurrection provides new life for us as believers and we are to be walking and living in the newness of that life which means not being bound by the power of sin. 
Am I making sense tonight? Listen, I don't want this to be blah, blah, blah. Now here's where the rubber meets the road. Just as things were different for Jesus after his resurrection, and just as things were different for Lazarus after his resurrection, things are to be different for us after we receive our new life in Christ. Stay with me. Put on your seatbelts. If you say you've been born again, but things are not different for you, or if things are not changing in you, if you are not being transformed little by little each day, my friend, I want to ask you a question tonight. What's up with your faith? What's up with that? Because that doesn't jive with the Word of God. It just doesn't. I'm sorry. It just doesn't. To walk in newness of life, as it says in Romans 6, 4, those words translate the Greek word, which doesn't mean new in time. Listen, that Greek word there means new in character, new in quality. I'm talking a different person. So, so here, here's, here's the deal tonight. If you're saved, but your language hasn't changed, and you're still dropping the F-bomb, and you're still cussing from every other word, listen, something's not right. If you say you're saved, but you're, you're the same old husband, or you're the same old wife, or you're still drinking like you have always drunk, or you're still smoking or dipping or chewing like you've always done, listen, that doesn't jive with Scripture. Come on. It just doesn't. If you're still stingy and you don't tithe and you don't give and you don't do the things God wants you to do, I'm sorry, that's just not in line, preacher. It's not in line with the Scriptures because the Scriptures talks about newness of life. Paul said, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Say, well, preacher, I'm just saved. And, 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 and man, I, I let out a string. I'm sorry, I let out a string this week. No, listen, listen. It doesn't mean that change happens immediately. No, the Bible says we're born again, which means that we're babies. We're infants. And my grandson, Huck, he's sitting over here. When he was born, he didn't just start walking and eating and talking. No, it was a process. He'd try to walk and he'd fall. He'd try to walk and he'd fall. But the older he got and the more mature he got and the stronger he got, he'd take a step or two and then he'd fall. He'd take a step or two and then he'd fall. But then he took three steps and four steps and five steps. And now every time he comes to our house or when he comes in here and he sees Papa down here, man, he's just running for all he's worth to come see Papa. Why? Because he's growing. He's getting stronger. Things are changing in his life. And what is true for him physically ought to be true for you and I spiritually because we are to be walking in newness of life. And if we're not, 
Listen, if your desire to be in the Word of God and your desire to pray and your desire to be in church is not getting stronger and stronger and stronger, then I'm sorry, but I'm going to call your faith into question. Now, I understand about backsliding. I understand about carnality. I understand all of that tonight. But listen, I'm just not going to let everybody off the hook because that may be true. Every now and then, we need to look at the pattern of the pattern of our life because that's exactly what we're talking. I'm talking about a pattern of life. This was your pattern of life before you were saved, and this is still your pattern of life after you were saved. Something's not right there. Because Paul said we're to be walking in newness of life. Newness of life. There ought to be some things changing. There ought to be some some things happening in our life that are different. Being dead to sin is fundamental to God's transforming work in us. Grace demands it. Christ's victory assures it. And then there's this one final truth, and it's this experience confirms it. Remember back before you were saved and how you were a slave to certain sins? No matter how hard you tried to get away, you would just fall right back into it. The good news tonight is that when we, we confess Christ as our Savior, God connects us with the very, I think Pastor preached on this in the, in, the, in the study of Ephesians, God connects us with the very same resurrection power of Jesus. And the power of sin in our life has been broken. Sin may call us, And it may tempt us. It may try to get our attention. But listen, church, it cannot boss us around anymore. Think of it this way. Imagine you're living in in an apartment complex. And the manager of that complex, I mean, he is just brutal. He extorts extra money from you every month. He steals your food. He burst, just burst into your house whenever he wants to, night or day, uninvited. And he's always just making these outlandish and outrageous demands. And you don't want to do what he says, but you really have no other choice. He's the boss. Right? He's the boss. And when you dare say something about the way he is, I mean, he quickly threatens to just bounce you and your family to the curb. Now, imagine you report him to the owner of the complex. And after his investigation... He kicks that guy to the curb. He says, you're fired. I don't, I don't need you. But a couple of weeks later, 
you're sitting in your apartment and you're enjoying your newfound freedom. And all of a sudden, it's your old landlord. It's your old manager. And he's demanding to come in. Hey, let me in. Let me in his house. And you just kick back and say, uh-uh. Nope. Ah, exploding kittens. Nope. Well, I only got one note card the other night, by the way. It's a bummer. If you don't know, you don't know. But he's demanding that you open the door and let him in. Two weeks earlier, you had no choice. You had to. You had to let him in. But now his power over you is broken. And though he can still threaten you, and though he can still harass you, listen to me tonight, church, he can't control you. And that's the truth of Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. You are not under the demands of sin anymore. And I challenge you to embrace that truth tonight. You do not have to obey sin. You can choose not to. In the book, The Three Edwards, the story is is told of a 14th century duke named Reynald. Reynald was, was grossly overweight. Eventually, Reynald became the king much to the dismay of his brother, Edward. Fueled by his jealousy, Edward put together a group of men and led a revolt against Reynald. He ended up taking over the castle and taking over the kingdom. But in an extremely unorthodox move, Edward did not have Reynald killed, as was the custom. Instead, he had him put in a room that had been built around him. The room was, was round, it had a doorway, but there was no door on it. And in the room, there was a bed and there was a table and there were all the things that Reynald would need to exist there. The doorway to the, to the room was, was, was a regular-sized doorway, but Reynald was too large to fit through it. Edward placed him in the room and said to him, when you can fit through the doorway, you can leave. Every day, Edward would have some of his servants bring a smorgasbord of pies and pastries, platters of, of, of meat and other delicacies, and they would lay them out in front of his brother. People used to accuse Edward of being cruel, but Edward would always answer the same way, my brother is not a prisoner. He can leave whenever he chooses to.
Reynold remained in that room, a prisoner, listen, a prisoner of his own appetite. He stayed there for more than 10 years. He wasn't released until Edward was killed in battle, but by then his health had so deteriorated that he only lived a year after getting out. Here's the point, not because he didn't have a choice, but because he refused to use his power to choose what was best for him. If you're in Christ tonight, you're not a slave to any sin. Do you hear me? You have the power to be the person God wants you to be. By virtue of your identification with his death and his resurrection that took place when you turned from your sin and you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You now, my friend, are free to choose to do what is right. The question is, is that the choice you're going to make? Let me ask you again tonight as we close. What one spiritual thing needs to change the most in your life? I'm not talking about your secular life. We all could make some changes there. I'm talking about your spiritual life. What is the one thing, what sin Let me ask it this way. What sin exercises the most control over you? Is it bitterness? Is it anger? Is it jealousy? Is it selfishness? Is it pride? Is it lust? What one sin exercises the most control over you. According to the Spirit-led writing of the Apostle Paul, if you're saved, that sin does not have power over you. And if you continue to serve it, it's not because you have to tonight. It's because you choose to. How about making 2021 the year of the great escape? You can do it. Every one of us here tonight can do it. If we want to. Let's pray.